And I think you actually haven't been on Brain Food Live before, Marin, I don't think. Um, have we have have we had you on the show before, or is this like a new thing? No, I don't. I don't think so. I think this might be the first time. Like maybe sometime at an event, like if you did it live or something, possibly. Yeah, uh, I, I think, think I think for, for even when you're back in Nebraska, I always thought you know what the time zone is still going to make it hard um, because it's still early even in Nebraska, right? It's like still going to be at seven o'clock or eight o'clock over there i think so so yeah basically rule of thumb of brain food is I, I don't ask anybody to do it if i'm not going to do it at that time so i personally wouldn't have got up at six but you have so i'm really pleased and thankful for you um anyway we're live everybody welcome to brain food live on air it is episode 206 um and today we are going to be talking about measuring the impact of employer branding Folks, we care about employer branding. I don't know anybody who doesn't. However, uh, I think we struggle to justify the case. Uh, we struggle to come up with a metric. Um, how many times is fundamentally our argument a little bit of like, just trust me, this is important, um, rather than mapping it back and saying, actually, we can point to some numbers which says that employer branding has made impact. Uh, so today, that is the topic of this conversation. We've got an amazing lineup, I have to say. We always try and do our best to get some great guests on. But I, I think this week we've literally gone over and beyond the norm um, with the quality of uh, EB smarts that we have to bring on. So very excited to have this conversation with you. Um, folks, um, just before we get into it, let's do some housekeeping real quick. I want to make sure that everyone can hear me okay. My audio sounds a bit weird, so maybe I've got something wrong. Can you hear me okay on Crowdcast? If you can, just please let me know. Um, we should be live streaming this on multiple LinkedIn's. Remember, folks, uh, Restream have got a new feature which allows anybody else to restream this broadcast. So I think we've got several people already blasting this out and like polluting LinkedIn sort of newsfeed with our chat. Um, so if you can hear it on LinkedIn, let me know in a comment wherever you're watching it. And we'll got somebody monitoring that and making sure that sound is okay. Okay, things sound good over here. It seems fine. Um, folks, let's get back to um, the show. Uh, uh, we can, we can. Uh, I think we're confident with the AV. I want to welcome onto screen, making her brain food debut. At least it's a brain food debut. It's Marin Hogan, the marvelous Marin Hogan. Great to see you, Marin. Um, we haven't even sort of. I didn't even ask you how the devil have you been since the last <laughs> time we had a chat. Uh, well, I think it's been long enough since we've had a chat. I'm I'm loving uh, San Diego, so I relocated from the Midwest uh, out west here in the states. Um, so I'm loving San Diego, California. That's fantastic. Uh, my kids have all learned how to surf. Everyone's learned how to surf except for me. The only I was going to say, one. come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> You're in San Diego, right? Isn't that surfer capital as well? Like you have to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we actually live in a small town called Oceanside and the waves are just ridiculous. So I'm happy. I'm happy bodyboarding. I can, okay. I can live with that. I don't have to do surfing. Um, but things have been great. Obviously, you know, the economy has been all over the place. And in our industry, we are often the canary in the coal mine. So it's been really interesting to watch the ripple effect um, throughout uh, our industry and when recruiters and HR folks are, are seeing what's happening. And then it goes out to the vendors and then it goes out to the vendors that service the vendors. And so, um, but I definitely think it's coming back now um, in a really big way. So that's good news for all of us and it's good news for Red Branch. Yeah, fantastic. And Red Branch, thank you very much for being the sponsor of today's show. Um, Maren, why don't you go ahead and, and talk a little bit about Red Branch? Who, what is the business? What does it do? Who should care about it? 
Yeah, sure. So Red Branch uh, Media is a full-service advertising and marketing agency. Um, we deal 100% with business-to-business and about 85% with HR and recruiting, workforce, tech, whatever you want to label it. Um, however, the reason that I'm here today and the reason that Hung asked me is that um, in, in the vein of working in this space for, gosh, it seems 20 years now, um, I've had the opportunity to consult on a lot of employer brands. I've obviously written about it a great many times. And so it's been really interesting to watch the, the rise of this particular slice of the profession. And um, it's really cool to, to see it from our point of view, because we've done these campaigns, uh, whether you want to do employer branding and recruitment marketing, we'll get into that in a moment. Um, but to watch how it's changing with the way people are approaching work um, lately. So Red Branch Media, you should care if you're an HR tech vendor and you should tell any HR tech vendors that you're working with that, uh, that somebody like me or me should deal with their comps. Would you say, is, is it particularly HR tech? So we, is that the sweet spot? So if I, I'm a HR tech founder or whatever it is, I've, or a recruitment tech founder, I want to try and connect with an audience. I don't know what I'm doing. I should speak to Marin Hogan at Red Branch Media. Yes, that's precisely it. You hit the nail on the head. So it is, I would say about 85% of our clientele are in HR, recruitment tech, TA tech, TM, workforce, however you want to label it, any ancillary bit. Um, and I think, you know, I'm safe in saying that if you've worked with a company, an analyst, uh, a media company in this space, they've probably worked with Red Branch or you've written or you've seen our work somewhere. Um, yeah, so I, I, a lot of founders. I think certainly familiar. So, um, so it's brilliant to take that sort of from uh, 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 you founded the business, didn't you, Marin? So to take it from uh, a, a solo play all the way to a, a really impactful business is fantastic. I need to ask you, Red Branch, what's the what's the origin behind this? This is this is a mystery for everyone in the industry that we need to we need to expose this right now. So can you can you tell us what this is from? You know, the story is right there on the website. Um, it's it's kind of funny. When I was very pregnant with my third child, I was going to pick up um, one of my other children from school, and I saw this branch on the side of the road, and I had just seen something in Pottery Barn. It was like $129, and we were poor as church mice and couldn't afford that. And it was basically like a really big stick that some stuff hung from. So I was like, well, that's a really big stick. Well, everything looks a lot bigger um, <laughs> when you're right there. So it looked kind of tiny from the side of the, from the road. But I pulled up and of course, I'm not going to uh, leave without my giant stick. So I huffed and puffed with my very pregnant self to get it into the back of my minivan. And my children are like, mom, mom, it's like poking me. And I'm, I'm in front of all the, the other people in the carpool lane. Shout out to the carpool lane, whoever's still doing that. Um, I brought it home. I dragged it into the entryway, left it there because I was exhausted. Um, and my husband at the time, uh, who's also a, a partner in Red Branch, great friend Jeremy Hogan, came in and he said, what the heck? And I was like, I want you to cut it down like this. And I then I spray painted it red. So when I was looking for a name for the company, I was like, that's pretty much what I do, right? I take something that should cost a lot of money and with ingenuity and a little uh, blood, sweat and tears, turn it into something beautiful that um, that people can enjoy. That's amazing. I, I wanna I wanna know whether you still have that branch somewhere, Maren. Is it still around? That this yeah. artifact from your past? It is. Yeah. Uh, oh. we had it in the office and then of course COVID hit. So we gave up our office 
and put it into a, a condo that we have back in Omaha, Nebraska, which we're now selling. So the real estate agent's like, what do I do with this? And I'm like, it's part of the property. They have to buy it. <laughs> it's, it's canon now. <laughs> like, it's one of these things that's part of employer branding, actually, to maintain the sort of artifacts that are on the journey of building a business. I think, I forget which company it was that had like a museum of, of stuff. Um, you know, in those proper like glass cases, as you walk through, you could just see the bits and you think, you know what, that just, I don't know, I, I, maybe, I, maybe it's the historian of me or the, uh, uh, the archaeologist type of bent, but it kind of makes me feel like there's some real, like, uh, there's reality behind the business rather than it just being like a manufactured thing, you know, so that's yeah. a wonderful story. Thank you. Great. Well, there you go, folks. Red Branch Media. Um, and we're here to talk about employer branding. Marin Hogan is an expert, but she's the co-pilot co-host today. Uh, so her job uh, is to basically support me in querying our guests as to what this is all about. So let's do it. We've got loads of people to bring on. However, I think too many people all in one go. So we're going to have to rotate them on and off. I hope that's going to be okay. Um, and the first person I need to bring on, and I need to do it because I think it's, I think Lindsay needs to take a flight. Um, so let's let's get her. If people are in airports. Like Lindsay uh, needs to go to an airport. I think Modi is coming from an airport. So we got to like sort people in and out as we go. Um, so hopefully that's gonna uh, make it okay. Um, and it might be one of these like get people on and off screen so that they can get about with their day. You know. Um, okay, Lindsay, I've just uh, invited you. I think you just got accepted. Oh, there she is. Hello, Lindsay. Good morning to you. Good morning. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you so much again for getting up early. I'm really feel <laughs> guilty for all of these uh, amazing Americans um, getting up like before I would ever do. So I thank you very much and appreciate it, Lindsay. Yeah, no worries. Clearly um, we're both on the West Coast. It's okay. We'll survive. Yeah, um, moral support here. Uh, so yeah. Lindsay, uh, why don't you introduce yourself real quick to the audience? Who are you? What it is you do? Sure. Uh, I work at Patreon. I'm, I'm Brandon today. Uh, and I uh, am in the business operations side of things now, which is kind of a weird switch. So I started an employer brand um, as an analyst. I started at an agency um, straight out of college, did that for about eight years, moved over to do employer brand internally uh, at Palo Alto Networks, went over to Patreon about um, almost two years ago to do employer brand, diversity, inclusion, internal communications, project management. Along the way, I just started assuming more responsibilities. Um, and I actually still have employer brand on my team in BizOps, um, but we're in the process of um, switching that over to um, internal comms when we hire that person. But honestly, we're just filling the need because we're a 400 person company and people just do what they need to do to make it happen, So, um, which is just great. So now I'm in BizOps and I run product launches. I do operations, our project management, kind of like a quarterback for some of our larger product plans. Um, and again, I have no idea how I got into that space, but here I am. Um, and employer brand is still very near and very dear to my heart. So that's fantastic. That's fantastic. By the way, that, that's potentially another a bring through life topic. Like how do you, you know, move around internally within a business? And, you know, oftentimes I think uh, people who become specialists end up being very narrow tracked and, and struggle to find different ways, even though they could apply those skills elsewhere. So um, I'm afraid I'm going to get you back for another show at some point, Lindsay. Um, <laughs> but whilst I still got you, and I understand you need to run for an airport or something, so we're going to... I'm good. Okay. I flew out last night to accommodate it. Here we are. So um, not oh. just for this, I'll be honest. I wanted to be home too. I'm so, like, it was just a long week, so I'm ready to be home. So I'm actually in my home office. Are you really? Oh, okay. Gonna, You're no. making me feel a little bit better. Thank you, Lindsay. Um, yeah. So on to this topic... 
how to measure the impact of employer branding. I came out with a bit of provocation at the beginning of this to say, you know what, we care about EB. Uh, you know, I don't see anybody who's denying that it's important. Um, but how do we actually know it's worth? Like we launch a big campaign, everyone loves it. Yeah, 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 it's great. And then like, then what? Like, what, what, how do we know that this has actually been impactful? How do, can we even say beyond it was good or it was bad? Can we kind of have a, can we quantify in some way? Say, yeah, it was 75% there. How, have you got any things to share with us on sort of from your experience, Lindsay? Yeah, it's a big, it's a big question. Um, we're going to write a book in like five minutes. Uh, so we have uh, one, I totally acknowledge like employer brand has certainly, I think, started to gain more traction, more steam since, I mean, obviously since I've joined the, uh, the industry uh, over 13, 14 years ago. Um, and I love how popular it is in a very difficult economy, right? So hats out to everyone in employer brand who suddenly is doing this against all odds, um, especially after companies have their layoff and they're like, hey, we need you to fix our brand now. And we're like, uh, that's really difficult. Let me, let me figure that out for you. Um, so I do appreciate how much it has uh, grown in its uh, popularity and its capability. So I'll talk about two aspects that I look at employer brand through. One is kind of this like feeling, right, which you can't quantify, but it certainly gets uh, traction and it builds momentum for you. And I'll start there with an example. Um, when I worked at Palo Alto Networks, um, employer brand was non-existent. We're in cybersecurity. We um, obviously had aspirations for diversity and inclusion. Um, and my chief people officer at the time, um, Leanne Hornsey, was just like a huge advocate for employer brand. She knew the potential. Um, and one of my favorite stories to tell there was that we had International Women's Day. And I wanted to do this huge campaign where we had all these women talk about what careers meant to them. And so I pushed our uh, internal women's network. I talked to everyone I could. We were a company size of like 5,000 at the time. So we had plenty of people. Um, and I got maybe <laughs> maybe three or four stories after pulling teeth for like hours on end. And so much of my time was spent like validating the human experience of like, hey, you have a story to tell and people want to hear it, which is so much I feel like of an employer brand's job, uh, a strategist's job. So that was year one. Year two, we had hundreds of stories. They're like, I saw that story that you did last year on this person and I want to tell my own story. Um, I actually had someone reach out to me like a week ago who were like, you helped me write that story gosh, it was like six years ago at this point. And they're like, and I just want to tell you how much that meant to me. Um, so one, I mean, there's quantitative there, right? Like we started with two stories and we went up to like 100, 120. And it was this great story about what it meant to be a woman professional. And we had some complexity there with like women mothers and new women and just um, in cybersecurity, which is one of the least diverse industries in the world. Um, so there was some quantitative there in that we saw exponential growth, but really the feeling around it was this momentum. And that momentum can be really hard to gain at a company, but with the momentum came buy-in, came budget, came emotional appeal to the executives who saw these stories going out. And they didn't need, you know, like my CEO or my CPO never came over to me and they're like, what were the impressions on that blog post, right? Like there were no metrics associated with those posts. It was just like, I saw this, I felt really good about it and I wanna do it again. Um, so I do think sometimes we over-orient on the quant, which I'll get to, cause I know it's important, but I do think sometimes we over-orient on the quantitative because it's one, we're fighting for our lives here at Employer Brand. We gotta prove ourselves. We gotta show that we're valuable, especially you know, as we look at Marin, she's got to prove herself as an external agency. I had to prove myself constantly as an external agency. You can't 
rely on feelings, but I don't want to undersell how important those moments are to build that snowball of why people find this important. And I think at the end of the day, we're all humans with emotions. And um, when we see a really compelling story that fits with us far more than impression count and engagement rate and et cetera. Um, so I do, I just genuinely think that that's so important. On the other side of the house where we get the monies, um, in terms of setting expectations, this is so important to me. Anytime I enter into an employer brand opportunity, we're doing this again at Patreon, right? Um, Patreon has such a cool opportunity to be such a really cool employer brand. Um, and I'm really working on my language hung because um, Patreon is very loose with their language. And I'm like, F yeah. And then like, I'm like, no, I'm facing you certainly. So I got to be careful. But we do have this really cool opportunity to be a really cool voice because we support creators. Um, but so at Patreon, we'll build, we're building the business case again. We built the business case at Palo Alto Networks. And the first thing I do in any quantitative measurement is set expectations. Um, you know, I ask my executives, what do you want from this? What do you expect from this or whoever you're presenting to leadership, et cetera. Um, and the first answer is like, I want applications. I'm like, well, that's not going to happen. I'm just going to lay that out there right now. One, analytics are incredibly difficult to measure. Two, if you can measure them, um, they tend to be uh, not the full picture. So you'll get portions, but you're always going to say these are deflated. You're going to have X many applications who switched mobile devices halfway through the application, et cetera. Um, so I always set expectations up very front. And I, I really encourage everyone to do that. I am not going to drive applications. It's not my job. Um, it's not a Super Bowl ads job necessarily to drive conversion. I actually talked to someone who generated Super Bowl ads yesterday and I asked her um, in an interview, what is your primary goal? It wasn't sales. It wasn't sales. Like they didn't have, it was um, square pace. There was a space. It wasn't sales. Oh my gosh. Um, it was awareness, just general brand lift, right? And we put so much pressure on employer brand to do something that we would never expect of a consumer brand campaign. Um, but here we are uh, having this fight for our lives again. So um, first step, set expectations. Second step, get quantitative, right? So um, I get very specific about my persona defining uh, my, my audience, who are targeting um what 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 platforms they use and this is like don't be everything to everyone just be something specific to some people um and so like are we using reddit are we using tiktok are we using instagram are we using blind i don't know what it is but you're going to find an audience and you're going to define what that audience is and what channels they use and within that space you can start looking at metrics um i tend to i tend to not look at uh, metrics that are um volume metrics so impressions uh, unique users. I don't look at those as much because so much changes when you're targeting different audiences. When I worked with Northrop Grumman at the agency, one of their target audiences was top secret security professionals with a polygraph too. Um, and so that was really interesting. Um, and it was like, well, I'm not going to get impressions out there with this kind of person. Um, there's like 10 of them that exist in the world. So um, like you're going to look at these uh, in, uh, volume counts and you're not going to be able to understand it. So um, I think Sarang had it like right on the head. We're in employer branding. We're not in marketing, right? So it's a really interesting component that you don't measure these very like granular items. But at the end of the day, your execs are going to ask you to deliver. So a couple of things that are really important for me. I really enjoy the uh, the ratio based metrics like engagement percent. Um, I like looking at of the people who saw this content, how many are engaging with it. I really like looking at um, website metrics of where my audiences are coming from. Um, are they spending time on different channels that I'm investing in? And if they're, if I'm not, then I'm going to change my strategy as well in terms of where I place our brand. 
Um, and when they're outside on those brand areas, it's making sure that I have an influence. So my overarching philosophy as a last statement for these spaces is making sure that I'm in the right places to influence all the conversations that are happening strategically um, with my target persona so that I knew that I had an influence in that conversion and it helps me justify where we end up um, investing in these different spaces. That was a really long answer, Hung. I hope that was okay. <laughs> you just um, you asked a quick question. Go ahead. Yeah. So there's a couple of things that I want to pull out of what you just said. The first is um, the employer brand recruitment marketing bit. Um, so clearly, I think one of the jobs of employer brand is to pave the way for those recruitment marketing campaigns, like you talked about with brand awareness, which is the other piece that I wanted to ask you about. With the way that people are moving from job to job, and that's actually now being encouraged by a lot of you know talking heads, <laughs> case in point, um, for people to you know increase their net worth and the media is kind of catching on post great resignation. Do you think that there's an even better case to be made for employer branding now that you know, yes, this might work tomorrow or it might work two years from now when this person is actually ready to switch their role? Has that changed the way people view employer branding in the organizations that you've been in talk talks with? Yeah, I mean, I uh I do. So I'm going to, I'm going to put this out there and I, I was probably going to make me a very unpopular person. Um, I don't care <laughs> to Hung's question about where my career has been my whole life. Um, to Hung's point, I don't really care about the difference between recruitment market and employer brands. Like I'm not someone who's really attached or concerned about these metrics as well. So I do want to be clear, like, yes, Mary, you're totally right. Employer brand paves the way for marketing. It gives us more justification. It helps us build that funnel down the line. Um, but I don't always look at the two categories as separate. I think they're very interwoven. They can be the same thing. They can be synonymous for some people. They can be totally different. It can be a war starter for some other people. And one, and that's honestly something I look at as broader. And 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 in the industry, one, you're, I guess what makes it most important is the people you're working with don't care. Like I'm going to be honest. Like your executives really don't care um, about the difference between the two most of the time because they don't even know what employer brand is half the time. They're like it drives applications, right? And you're like. Okay, we're gonna start over and figure this out. Um, in terms of like the the long term investment, Marin, because right, you're asking like how you kind of um, measure the success in like a, a truncated space versus like a longer pipeline. Tons more tolerance for um, longer pipelines. Tons more tolerance, at least from what I found. Um, we are in the middle of a brand campaign at Patreon, and um, we're changing the perception of what Patreon is. Right, we were like. People confused us for crowdfunding when we first came out. Um, now we're talking about a membership platform. We're transitioning from membership to membership plus. So like all these other things, like just bigger things, I, I can't spoil secrets, uh, industry secrets. And our brand officers like, oh, this is going to take four years, right? That is the same for employer brand. We need to start thinking like consumer brand people where we set expectations. And we're so afraid sometimes to do that because again, our jobs depend on that. But these are long-term journeys. I worked with a, I'm not going to say the name, but I worked with a client that was customer service and they had a horrible reputation and they hired us to, to fix that. And I remember a very poignant conversation where I was like, I am not going to fix your reputation with employer brand. I might drive conversions as an external agency, Marin, I'm sure you understand the importance of that. I can I can um, I can set the stage for perception, but the real meat of the work, and this is like my career journey, is making sure that you uphold 
what you sold, right? And that's like, we, we sometimes we get kind of screwed as employer brand strategists because like we build this beautiful brand that's based off of concepts and beliefs and values. We do all this brand work, um, employ, employer value propositioning, et cetera. We do all of this in the beginning and then the company doesn't hold up their end of the bargain. And it's like, you end up selling something fake. And that's like one of the most difficult parts for an employer brand strategist to be in is selling something fake. And it's so difficult because you only have so much influence in these different pockets. So in terms of longevity, yes, I think there's tolerance for a longer timeline. As long as you set the right expectations, I'm certainly getting more traction in that. And then to the market is way harder now. So we actually have an excuse to use that difficulty to take a longer time to build that brand because it's more competitive. Um, you know, the great resignation has turned into the great recession. I don't know <laughs> where we are in that timeline of the two things that are happening right now. In fact, it's a really weird tension point that we should explore later that we're still trying to figure out um, where employees still have the power, but companies are gaining back. Anyways, so you have more time now than you ever have before because the market is far different than it ever was before. And companies are still trying to um, to get their feet underneath them in that new talent market. So I actually think we have a longer time there. I just think the most important part in that in that question is making sure that you give yourself the expectations, you set the expectations and you treat it like a brand campaign for a larger company making a transition. Now manage expectations based on how different the change is, right? If you're just like, we're selling two products instead of one, which actually can be a massive transformation, that, that might be a smaller timeline. Just make sure you're I would say I'm just going to bump in here because obviously as a marketing pro, the difference between branding and marketing is, is kind of paramount in my mind. I actually believe, and, and it might not matter, but I think it's part of the setting expectations piece of this, because if you go in there and say, hey, we're doing an employer branding campaign, you might have the expectation, everything you just described. We have longer. It's, it's a beautiful brand. It's going to take a while. It comes from inside. It's intrinsic to the organization and all that other stuff. When you come in and say, I'm going to do a recruitment marketing campaign, that's when they do tend to expect conversions. Now, you're right. The people that you're selling to at the very, very tippy top probably don't understand the distinction, but the people who you're going to be working with thereafter do tend to. And by using those specific terms and that, and that um, vernacular, I think it does make it easier to set those expectations, which I think you're absolutely right about from the get-go. So just to step in on, on that point, so, uh, I totally get what you're saying, Lindsay, is that, you know, from a comp company's point of view, the buyer's point of view, they may actually be quite ignorant uh, with regards to the, the fine differences between these functions. And to be honest with you, I'm like pretty fuzzy on it also. Um, uh, not to say I'm a good example of anything, but, you know, I, I think that without being an expert in the, in the field, probably the differentiation is a bit opaque. Um, but Maren, you're saying that actually it is quite important because it's part of the, the expectation of deliverables. So if there's confusion and they actually do expect conversions, let's say you think it's an EB and you don't think it's conversions, then that's a big mismatch. And potentially that could be a, a that, could, that could set you off in the, in the wrong uh, standing straight away. Um, so yeah, interesting that debate, but obviously that tells me that it's something that we still need to crystallize in our own conversations. Never mind outside of the uh, outside of our uh, little milieu here. Um, okay, very. You know what, Lindsay? You've said so many interesting things here. Um, I think it would be one of those where 
very difficult to pick out like one thing that was that was very important. But I want to nail up one of the, things, the early things that you said, which was frequency, i.e., impressions, can sometimes be a very crude uh, measurement as to whether a campaign has succeeded or not, because you're not actually measuring uh virulence is the wrong word but you know what i mean it's like it basically uh, someone uh, may, may you might get low numbers of impressions let's use that phrase but each one of those people might just be feeling like this you know the, the measurement is is they're so enthusiastic that's actually not captured we, we're not capturing how powerfully someone sort of resonates with the work that you've done we're only counting whether they've touched it or not um, and you could do a campaign of any type, you get 100,000 impressions, you know what, maybe 100,000 didn't really care, um, you know, it was okay, and it bounced off, that's totally different from having a campaign with 1,000 impressions, but you know what, 800 people actually changed their behavior, or had a new idea in their mind as a result of the work you're doing, and that maybe is something that is difficult to capture, and we haven't quite got that, um, and, and I think you mentioned uh, it was perhaps the uh, the sense of momentum, you know, if you're working internally, I, I was wondering whether that could be described as something, uh, you know, the numbers of conversations or the numbers of mentions um, or, or, you know, the, the, the deeper conversations that, that occur as a result of that work. So anyway, uh, very, very interesting for us to debate. However, we are fast moving forward on this show, folks. So, Lindsay, we're going to have to say goodbye to you at this point, I'm afraid to say, because um, we've got other people to bring on. You, you know what, when Audra int introduced uh, us and said, you know what, you've got to get Lindsay on. She's absolutely bang on. Lord, Audra, I know you're watching this. Um, thank you so much for the introduction. Uh, Lindsay, we're going to get you on back to the show at some other point, hopefully at a better time. We're going to make sure that, you know, no one's getting up again at this terrible hour. Uh, wonderful to have you on the show, Lindsay. Thank you. Bye. What a smart lady, hey? Um, I'll tell you what, there's some really good talent in our industry, isn't there, Maren? Um, I think sometimes yeah. we... Uh, yeah, sometimes sometimes within recruiting or within tech, if you like, um, a tech recruiting, certainly, uh, we, we often sort of, uh, I don't know, we kind of underestimate ourselves a little bit. Um, but there's some, there's, yeah. some quality, there's some quality people there. Um, Andy, Ben, we're going to keep you holding back. Don't, don't worry, you're going to come on soon, but I want to bring on Mo first. I want to bring on Steve as well. Mo, how are you doing? Good to see you. Good, good. Arrived back safe and sound. So I know very, I didn't want Mo to be driving like overly fast. Uh, in order <laughs> I was to thinking make to myself, should I just jump on via audio? But no, 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 no. Uh, there's no way we're doing this from a moving vehicle. Um, and there's Steve as well. Okay, let's do some quick intros. Mo, can you quickly introduce yourself? Who are you? What it is you do? Yeah, hi, my name is Mo or Mo Diara. Um, I work for Boston Consulting Group and look after their employer brand in basically everywhere except Namer and AP. Cool. Great to have you on the show, Mo. Uh, and Steve, great to see you. Can you quickly introduce yourself? Who are you? What it is you do? Yeah, likewise, Hun. Thanks for having me. Steve Ward from Universum. my head of employee branding solutions for Universum, which is the largest data-driven employee branding agency in the world. So therefore, yeah, data and measurements are my hot subject. So uh, super cool. pleased to be part of this and slightly over-opinionated on it. So uh, yeah, well, you know what? On <laughs> don't, worry about, don't worry about opinions, Steve. We can throw them in there. As, as, as people have witnessed, Marin is no no stranger to having converse, conversations and opinions. So this is going to be totally OK. Um, Let's talk about how to measure the impact of employer brand. We just heard from Lindsay and she was talking about, you know what, we can be overly fixated with the quantification. I think that's absolutely correct because a lot of it is about resonance, right? A lot of it is about stuff that you cannot 
capture. We don't quite have tooling. Uh, we shouldn't ignore that stuff. We can't be overly wedded uh, to just putting things onto a spreadsheet. Uh, but are there techniques that we can use? Let's go to you first, Mo, because you're working internally for B uh, Boston Consultancy Group. Like, did you have any? internal pressure to produce something on a spreadsheet to show things to people or did you get leeway it seemed that it seemed that lindsay was able to argue her way and kind of create the space to work um did you ha have that same sort of situation or in the end were you kind of obliged to just produce something with, with a bunch of numbers i guess well good question i think you know saying that you're being pressured into doing something is obviously never a good thing to do um but i do feel that it kind of adds value if you're able to quantify certain metrics and give that back to the business just to show that you add value in a way i think i've been following the conversation in the chat as well where there was a conversation between if like as an employer brand that you take care of the reputation and if you're in recruiting marketing then you're actually selling and i think that as an employer brand person you do both kind of assuming that you also do recruitment marketing which then means that you're actually trying to you know attract people and then convert into being an employee so if you're doing that then yes you can quantify that but i believe that there is a difference between you know kind of uh yeah how to say uh, hard quantifiable metrics and soft more qualitative metrics in that sense what i'm reporting back on it's mostly the hard quantitative metrics because that's just something that i could visually show right like we for example uh, launched this new campaign last year and then I could basically show okay yeah we have more landing page visitors we have a better online engagement and it's kind of like trickles down but I also think you know if I di didn't do this yet but if you would let's say what is our employee engagement or our MPS score before or after the campaign that would also be interesting to to look at which is more like a soft metric I'd say. So, so, yeah. so, okay, let's talk about what, what were those metrics? Like, typically, if you were to launch a, an internal project, EB project, let's say, yes, of mm -hmm. course, people want to increase, let's say, the numbers of hires made or whatnot. Uh, what sort of things would you be presenting or collecting uh, in order to, to kind of say, okay, this worked? Um, I would say it's probably a combination of all. Like, how I see this is that I, I know that, and this is what I agree with Lindsay before, like, the systems are not really talking to each other, so you have to come up with like a funnel that you created on your own, a little bit manufactured, I feel. But I would say I would look at, let's say, my online media marketing metrics, you know, like the stuff that was just mentioned, like, you know, maybe engagement or engagement rates. I tend to agree with the impressions because you can pay for those type of metrics, right? But okay. But I would look at the online metrics and then also um, look at, for example, my um, landing page visitors, which is more, you know, coming from my content management system. And then I would also look at my application data and then to maybe uh, say something about if I were able to deliver a certain quality of candidates, I would, for example, look at how many pass people passed the first interview stage or how many people passed the assessment. I And I know that this is also a discussion in the industry, but from my opinion, I think that I can only apply or influence up to the moment a person clicks on apply because the moment they end in that recruiting funnel, my influence as an employer branding person is just basically gone. Like I, I can't really, you know, have, create a good experience for them. But I do hope that the experience that I'm trying to create as an employer brand person and kind of like that reality that I try to show through the campaigns and the strategy rollout, that they actually live that same experience when they start 
conversing with us. So, yeah. Okay, so, so that's actually a very interesting sort of final point there, Mo. You're saying that there is a stop, basically, um, at, at which point, <laughs> we, I know we like to talk holistically and all this kind of stuff, uh, yeah. but at the end of the day, you're saying, you know what, my job is to get someone to come and apply for this job that might not have done so. Um, and I can't sort of control how you interview. I can't control well, your candidate experience. Certainly can't control your hiring decision, bro. That's not me. If, well, I don't know. I think that it really depends on your circle of influence, right? Like I, I think I can also influence a little bit within the recruiting process as in, you know, I can try to offer them certain materials to, you know, keep them engaged and hopefully kind of like offer them, let's say, I don't know, we have a, a thing at BCG called One Day at BCG. It's kind of like helping you to go through um, the life of a consultant in like a few hours to basically get you more you know, involved. I think that that's a branding tool that you could use within the recruiting process, but the interaction with the recruiter, I can't really influence. And then to make it even more difficult because I've been reading in the poll that lots of people want to measure their employer brand. If you would ask me a question now, as in how can I then kind of like show the business that I kind of deliver value through my employer brand is to basically try to tie it back into, you know, how much value you deliver to the business by hiring the right people within the right time with the right experience and finding a quality candidates, right? So if you look at it like that, you could say that employer branding is that whole thing. But, you know, to make it less complicated, I don't know, I would say let's go for applications today. Go, go ahead, Martin. I just want to jump in. So I, I think that's absolutely right. And that's why I do get um, so kind of um, specific with words because words matter. And so I think that's correct, right? Branding and marketing in the recruitment and employment space, we follow, we lag two to three years behind normal marketing and advertising, which yeah. are two very, very different animals. And so recruitment marketing, first, let's say, though falls under employer branding. If you have a campaign, ultimately, it's going to be revenue influenced that you're measured on. So yeah. to her point, ultimately, it's going to be how much value does this employee bring to the business? And if you have those metrics set up ahead of time, like per employee, we're making X amount of dollars, then you can easily prove that. And the reason um, that I think that that's going to be more and more important is obviously because it's becoming more and more important in the mainstream uh, brand and, and selling world. But I think it's also, again, people are not staying in roles as long. You do not have time to go in there and say, hey, here's, here's everything that we did and it's going to influence stuff five years down the line. I mean, you can but you need to be able to prove it relatively quickly. So you need to have your measurements in place and your expectations in place, as Lindsay mentioned, um, in order to do what um, they're doing at, at what Mo was talking about. At yeah, it's, it's definitely a piece of expectation management upfront, right? I think that that's also, and that's what I totally agree on with Lindsay. Like you need to manage the expectations of the people as in this is employer branding and this is what you can expect out of the different tools and, and parts that employer branding has to offer. And then, you know, that you, you get there, but yeah. Steve, you got any thoughts to add to that? Yeah, I, I do. I, brilliant. Um, listening to we all on it all, it's a great subject. And it's, it's, I think it's an enormous subject. And I think this is why the question you put right at the start about trying to distill this in some way is, is always really difficult because I will, I would say there is 
the world of employer brand is an enormous ecosystem that um, that ultimately is about reputation. Um, ultimately, is about what does somebody think about when they see something that you're posting online, or or, or uh, what, what's the first thing they think of, you know, for, uh, and how does that influence their ability then to take the next stage of a journey, either read on, click on, before we've even thought about whether they're going to apply. Uh, or not. And we also have to accept that, uh, as we've known for years, it often takes several clicks and several stories and several moments to get to anywhere near the apply stage for many candidates. And obviously the point is to do, but what we've got to think about is the world in which we're operating in. So if we're looking at what things that we would think about measurement, we also have to think about competitive environment, industry environment, the surroundings in which um, individuals are operating in. And what are the feelings that are engulfing a talent audience? So take, for example, the tech audience right now. Tech's just gone through a little bit of a bumpy ride in the last few months, you know, particularly big tech, et cetera. So how has that influenced the thinking process of tech talent, for example? It, we just, uh, a new research has just come out and I was changing hugely. It's just all of a sudden just flipped the thinking about the um, the journey of I'm a young techie I'm going to go and work for Google well there's no guarantee you're still going to have your job in a year's time if you go to Google anymore all those things now that changes the landscape that changes thinking and that changes the decision making process and therefore that in, in turn influences the decision we should make as to what content and stories and features we should putting out there in order to accurately attract them so therefore one measurement factor is the sentiment. Of, of an audience. The second is how do they feel about your organization and organizations like you? And then the next layer of that is how do they feel about you compared to your competition? Are they going to choose you or are they going to choose somebody else? So one of the things that we identify quite a lot, because there is no discussion right now around employer branding or recruit marketing that doesn't involve um, cost, ROI, and proof. It's just so important right now and and you know and and so therefore there has to be a number of layers what we found is at very senior level um somebody likes to know how they are are we beating the competition are we doing better than the competition are we attacking them are we changing mind share are we changing that opinion slightly closer to home recruitment talent acquisition leaders they want to know are you driving clicks are we driving career site path Etc. Etc. So there's lots of layers of measurement because I think employer branding and recruit marketing are small components of really potent activity over time that evolve perception. And what we've got to therefore measure is all of those elements of um, interaction. But we don't have to tell everybody all those measures of interactions. And actually, the real skill in measurement is not taking isolated points of data as a as a um, as the crux of measurement, but to understand how different points of measurement impact the overarching scene of what it is and the challenges we're facing. And so therefore, so I think there's, we, we've talked about digital measurements a lot, the campaign measurements and blah, blah, they, they make sense. Impressions at the top, I agree, not particularly a great one, but you know, when you're starting out and putting a, um, you know, when you're putting a campaign out, you're trying to raise awareness. Sometimes a measurement impressions is a is an okay start. It's not a, not a brilliant one, but it's an okay. But then you've got to measure journey through the funnel. So you get through the funnel. You want to know are your people watching your videos? Are they hanging around for a while? Do they fall off after twenty five percent because it's a dull video or etc. And then you want to measure things like click through rates and is it actually making effect and all that kind of stuff. And there's those. But but I would say there's this bigger picture around: Do people care? 
does talent care internally or externally and they do believe in your story what it is you've got to sell to, to use the phrase that uh, that ben was mentioning earlier about the fact that you know there is a feeling that brand sometimes you are effectively selling even though we don't like to say that we are you know what Marin? there's just too many brains uh, on the show <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry i'm sorry everybody everyone's too intelligent um because i'm 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 at a loss for words i think everyone should just be like listening um to the the, the people who we've got on screen uh, and just having them just continue to uh give some monologues here because there's so much richness about what you said there uh, steve um and point that i really liked was this idea that the internal story that you have um with your customer you need to understand the personas that you're dealing with. It's not personas. It's not only the external personas that you're trying to capture. Capture. It's the buying persona. So the CEO, I think you're totally right. The CEO is competitive. That person is going to say, um, "Are we getting people away from our customer, uh, from our competitors? Are they coming to us rather than them?" That's what they want to know. A TA person, of course, they've just expended either in an external consultancy or they bought sort of in-house talent or they've just spent something, they're going to want to see some ROI on that spend because that's precious money. They can't just like squander that around. And then you've got other people that may just be a little bit too distant to it. A hiring manager, for instance, are they even thinking about EV until we bring it to, the, to them? Uh, who knows? Um, so having that sort of persona on the outside and persona inside, I think is super important. And it's why there's almost I hosted a call with uh, with a bunch of our global customers about two months ago and they're very big companies so don't like you know don't take this as kind of red for everybody because it's absolutely not the case but when you look at companies well, of the size size and scale of ben for example in, in in ibm you see companies and bcg as well for that matter you you see the complexity and smorgasbord of analytics and measurements and proof points that need to be demonstrated. And on this call that we that hosted, which has 37 kind of global organizations, the three companies that presented just show this dashboard that they've created of bringing together digital measurements, brand measurements, internal sentiment, evolution in internal sentiment, evolution in external sentiment. Now, you could argue are just spinning around in circles again <laughs> completely lost with all this because there's so much there but actually a, a, an employer brands lead in an organization take someone like like mo there needs that tool needs the tools to be able to respond in, in, internally to be able when somebody says hey what are we doing with female tech engineers at the moment what are we doing with female graduates what are we doing in the dni space with talent are we changing perception there and have be able to have the tools available to them to say yeah we're moving the dial on this. We're a little bit behind on this area. We're not winning this area here. But, but the word I just used there is really massive in all of this is moving the dial. And that's one of the goals. Hiring is one of the goals, but moving the dial to make it easier to hire is also a massive part. Steve, can I ask you a quick question? You, um, you mentioned it just now. We are seeing a lot of like intersection between EV and hitting DEI goals. Um, are you? And we also hear a lot here in the States anyway, about um, who should be leading some of the DEI things. Mm. Are you seeing a change? I, this is kind of a frank question. I'm sorry, I'm the American in the room. Um, <laughs> do you see a change in EB leadership where we're seeing a, a, a different demographic come through and say, this is really where we can turn that dial? 
Yes, to a degree, but I tell you what I've noticed a lot, and, and we've driven it a little bit by just some work we're doing in this, particularly um, in the UK, but the, the link between the EB leaders and operational people inside an organization and the DNI lead, which is now obviously a bit of a role that never really existed five years ago, but now every kind of thoughtful organization has now hired that specialist talent. They're sitting in the same room far more often because the recognition is that you cannot um, solve uh, inclusivity issues inside an organization by hiring alone. You've got to do it by culture, brands, um, and, uh, and understanding and listening to people better. And, that, and what better portion of the business to do that than employer brands? Um, so, uh, so yes, yeah, so we've, we've found the link joining. I don't know about that. I don't know whether that's fair to say, or it's in fact to say that the, the demographic of EB people has changed as a consequence as well, but I definitely see the, 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 the two sitting in the same room far more often, far more often than I did maybe say two years ago. Well, we know just on that note, Maren, that DEI particularly is increasingly important, especially for the younger generations as they go forward. So it's in, it's it's going to be woven into using your phrase, woven into EB, isn't it? Um, and, and that's going to be super important for people to communicate. Folks, we are pounding through the time on this show, uh, and I'm afraid to say we do need to come off air in due course. However. Brain Food Live is a conversation starter. It's not a conversation finisher. Um, please do not let the fact that we have to come off air um, stop this conversation from continuing. Um, it's very, very important that everyone uses this opportunity to connect with each other and continue the conversation offline or in a different place if you consider this worth your while. So for everyone watching this, I want you to take a moment, just grab your LinkedIn URL, share it in the chat stream if you're watching it on Crowdcast. If you're watching it on any of these LinkedIn places, go ahead and share it in the comment stream, wherever it is, and then connect with everyone else who has done the same. Um, my bottom line is, worst case scenario, you're going to walk away from this with 30, 40, 50 great connections that care about this topic, how to measure impact of employer brand. Go ahead and speak to those people after the show. It's going to help you um, get go forward uh, in what it is that you want to do. Um, okay, Steve, listen, we'll have to let you go now because we've got to bring on Andy and Ben um, and make sure they have their, their say on the matter. Uh, but wonderful to see you. Hopefully we'll Likewise. catch you soon. I uh, don't know when the next time we're going to catch up. Are, are you at any events or whatever? Oh, no? uh, reasonably oftenly enough, but we're in the same <laughs> city, hung. We should just... All right. Well, if you're in town, just drop me a line, okay? Cheers all. All right, see you later, mate. Good Lord. Right, we have to get Ben on, Maren. We really do. Okay. We have to get Andy well, um, as well. I'm hoping that I get to see Steve and you at Breakfast here shortly. Are y'all going to be there? Nashville, you're, you're definitely going, right? Oh. Please tell me that's oh. happening. Um, yeah. I, I need to see... I need to, uh, Maren in cowboy boots. I think that's happening, right? There's no question. There's no question. Ew. Rhinestone, let's have this. Um, no, I'm, 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 I think I'm coming. So I think I'll be there. I, I don't know where the Steve is, but I hope I hope all of our US friends are going to turn up to this, you know. Um, there he is, Andy Kerr-Lewis. Wonderful to see you, sir. Um, Andy, I don't think there's anybody in the business that doesn't know who you are, but I wonder whether you could quickly introduce yourself. Who are you? What it is you do? Yeah, sure. Hi, folks. Uh, great to uh, see you all. Uh, my name is Andy Kerr-Lewis. I'm the managing director of the consulting arm of uh, CLO Talent. So uh, that's basically strategic advisory, technology, DEI, employer branding, and uh, change management. So great to be on, great to see you all. 
Fantastic to have you there. We're going to invite Ben on from IBM as well uh, to join our conversation. But whilst we've got you here, oh, here he is. Um, ben, great to see you, sir. And you. Um, uh, can you quickly introduce yourself, Ben? Who are you? What it is you do? Hi there, everyone. Yes, uh, Ben Phillips, currently at IBM. Um, Whistle-stop tour of background that includes communication, culture and coaching. I've been very fortunate that my career has gone through recruitment marketing, consumer marketing, with a bit of L&D, leadership development, culture transformation woven through as well. So great to be here. Hi, everyone. Fantastic to see you, Ben. Um, I mean, you've been listening into some of these conversations in-house and consultancies-wise as well. What's your take on the question? How do we measure employer brand? I think we, we kind of want to do it, uh, but we also don't want to neglect the qualitative aspect. Um, but from kind of the internal conversation side, what are the sort of numbers um, that you know, we need to bring to the table in order to make sure that you know, our internal customer or external customers better to renew the budget for next year. Uh, what are the things that you see as important? Um, ben, let's go to you first. I don't know whether you actually have this conversation, whether there's an internal marketplace in, in IBM, but how do you go ahead and justify a campaign uh, that seems to work or not? I mean, what are the sort of numbers that, that uh, you need to bring to play? Um, so great question. I'm just going to kind of break that down. So when you talk about measuring the impact of employer brand, I think people that try to tackle it holistically without sorting out the basics is where it gets quite complicated and, and sometimes they're setting themselves up for failure. If you're starting out and you can't connect the dots, because let's face it, tech stats, tech stacks and other processes sometimes get in our way of being able to do that. I think it's making it very time bound and activity specific. So you talk about campaigns. Um, and then before I get into kind of answering your question, You've got to think about your different audiences you're speaking to, which other people have touched on here as well. So there's that macro level and then there's the micro level. So what do I mean by that? At a macro level, I'm talking about the C-suite or VC backers or business owners, and they don't care about your likes, your impressions, your clicks. They care about five things, basically, in general. Are we making money? Are we driving down cost? Are we acquiring new customers? Are we keeping existing customers and stretching their, their wallet share? And are we doing all this whilst mitigating risk? So then my question is, well, as talent marketers, which of those can we aim for? And for us, I think at a macro level, it's reducing costs, which then leads into the question of ROI and all that kind of thing, which I know we're not talking about specifically. So time-bound activity specific, one thing you could do, and I'm conscious of time, is, for example, I've shared an example on LinkedIn where you could look at your CRM. And as talent marketers and in branders, have you got the brand that you layer onto your comms, which you're using to nurture people sat in your CRM? And are you fully maximizing that CRM? Because often the knee-jerk reaction when people are looking to make recruits is, we need more candidates. In large corporates, you don't because you're sat on millions of profiles, which no one's touching. And then you can do a quantitative commercial calculation that says, well, if average cost per hire industry-wide is 4K and... You're looking at 4% application to higher rates. So every 100 applications is four hires. You can apply that layer to your CRM and say, if we use this versus these other channels, then we could potentially save the business X dollars or X pounds. So that's one macro way in a time-bound, activity-specific way of doing it. That's, that's a really micro smart. Ben, let me just stop you there. I think that's really yeah. smart because uh, you've, you've, I've got to be honest, um, I've totally neglected thinking about this um, because EB in my mind was always about externalization, new people, never heard the brand, let's bring them all in. But of course, there's like uh, people who've been pre-acquired, 
right? Absolutely. There's, there's people have been pre-acquired that you've forgotten about because you know what? They responded to an advert who didn't, you know, they didn't get the job or whatever it was, the job was stopped and whatnot. And then we've taught we don't you don't need to go outside to re reacquire them somehow at another place. You have their email, you have their profile, you can you can use that system to try and bring them into play. Mm. I wonder whether does EB have that responsibility though? I mean, uh, within a big IBM type organization, like, wasn't it a case where you were told to get purely external hires or did they not sort of um, differentiate our that role, way? No, our role is to equip the recruiters with the messaging they need to go and have a consistent conversation with the talent we are after. So you've got your culture, which shapes the EVP, you wrap your brand around that and then you communicate that brand and you have your cell messaging and your talk tracks and your sound bites whether it's written communication, verbal communication, recruiters can then reach out to people, whether it's in a CV mining database or whether it's on LinkedIn or your owned CRM, that when I approach someone, I know what to say, how to say it, the tone of voice, what are the things that we want to get across about our authentic uh, candidate experience. So branding very much influences that and supports that. And then it's about employer branding and talent marketing running enablement across the TA talent acquisition population to that effect. So if you're going to reach out to someone, no matter what medium, whether it's verbal, written, whatever, these are the things we want to be saying as an organization. This is the tone of voice to be using. Whilst obviously weaving in your own personality, that's crucial as well. So very much it's, it's talent marketing and talent branding. All right. Very good. So I, I get this. It's, we can't forget about the recruiters and all of this, right? So in other words, EB and all this is all great. But at the end of the day, we're, we're there to empower the recruiter to have a, a conversation with a job seeker. That's not going to be mm -hmm. us. Uh, it's somebody else to do that. Um, Andy, what are your thoughts on this? Um, anything to add to that to sort of uh, uh, a little snippet that Ben just introduced? Uh, yeah, no, that was great. Um, and yeah, we're obviously into the sweet section of the, uh, of the podcast here. Um, yeah, no, couldn't agree more. For, for me, I, I kind of always think that there's a top down and a bottom up when we're thinking about um, employer branding. Um, the bottom up is all the core kind of basic measures, if you like. And at the start of all of this, I was curious as to what you guys were just saying was, um, who's your actually audience that you're talking to? Because employer branding so often starts in recruitment or talent acquisition, but actually its biggest impact is employees. So um, when we're thinking about that, it's the, the um, candidates, it's the employees, it's the recruiters, it's the hiring managers, it's the managers, it's the leaders, it's investor relations, it's all, those are your multiple audiences. And you know, particularly when we think these days, 30 years ago, um, if an organization was being valued by the stock market, it would be 80% value on the number of factories you have and the number of units you produce. Today it's 86% on culture, people, leadership, reputation, brand. So um, at that investor relations level, that top down, um, it's, uh, it's, it's super, super important. So um, the, when we think about impact, um, I just getting clarity on that dashboard is so important. And we kind of look at five steps, if you like. So perception, awareness, engagement, uh, uh, conversion, and performance, each of which has a subcategory and each of which has both quant and qual, which kind of drive that, that performance. Uh, ben, love what you were saying about actually what does the business care about? And the business cares about, are we making money? Can we continue to make money? Are we making good money? Um, and where's more money coming from? So um, obviously, the, not everyone is about making money. There's government institutions and organizations which are driven by different principles and drivers. But what's always fundamental for employee branding is just making sure that we're speaking the language of the business.
what's what's important for them. Um, one other thing that's really curious at the moment when we think about impact, and I think that employer branding has just got a huge opportunity to play a role in, is the future. So um, has anyone been to a conference recently or read anything that doesn't have the letters A and I in it? Um, no is the answer. So as we continue to rapidly digitize the workplace and indeed our entire constructs of the job, what does that mean for us as, as people? Um, what's the digital anthropology? What's our relationship with this technology? And through that, we must explain that and, and make sense of it. And I think employer branding has to play a role in that. So bottom up, there's some core basics right now. Top down, uh, what, are we, what are we really saying to our business leaders? But certainly in the future, what is the role of employer brand and how are we going to measure impact in, I don't know, five years or is it five months? Really, really interesting insight, Andy. Thank you. I mean, particularly like the idea that you can observe the internal population, that you can't ignore them when you're building an employer brand strategy um, because it's emergent from their behaviors. It's, it's you know, it, the, the, the workforce that you, you have they're the people that actually create the culture of the company. It's not just something you fish out of the marketing top top drawer. Um, it's the behaviors that occur within the business that actually tell the story. Maybe the EB job is to try and define that and articulate it in such a way that everyone kind of can 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 replicate the articulation because they're the ones also going to be having conversations externally. They're the amplifiers of that brand, irrespective of the uh, you know the paid for stuff that EB might do um so very interesting observations uh indeed um and thanks for bringing ai into this maybe that's a good way to try and finish and end this 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 podcast um lots of people i think there's two things we've got to think about here number one how does ai help eb so as eb professionals ta professionals talent mark professionals how does ai help us do that um so there's there's one angle we want to try and tackle the other angle is AIs really cause a lot of consternation in, in, the, in the marketplace. And a lot of people are thinking about, oh, is my job kind of in danger? There's not a conversation I have online these days that doesn't involve that. Um, so if I'm a business, I probably need to have a, a, a narrative there. I need to be able to tell the audience what we observe AI to be and how we are going to change and transform and work with this technology and what that then translates into as a job opportunity for people uh, who might be joining us. So let's do those two things separately. Um, firstly, let's talk about how EB, so I, I, AI can help EB. Uh, Mara, let's bring you in on this. I mean, as a business owner, um, I mean, have you observed this and looked at it and thought, okay, there's some like really quick and dirty tactical things we could do, um, and maybe some bigger things as well. I mean, what's your, what's, what's your, where you're at with your thinking on this? Yeah, no, the opposite. I actually think both you and I are speaking about AI at Wreckfest here, uh, the Nashville one, and potentially at the the one in Nebworth as well. So. Um, I'm not approaching it tactically at all. I feel very, very passionately about uh, a long calm cycle internally um, and then presenting it to employees so that they don't have that fear, so that there is that engagement, so that they're not dumping proprietary or non-compliant information into some free tool that somebody on TikTok recommended, right? So I think the training, the processes, those sorts of things are going to be paramount. Anyone who is in branding or marketing is going to need to have that step-by-step. -step. It's really hard to think linearly when everything is happening all over the place, right? 
And so whoops, I just made the camera freeze. Um, so I think that for us and for our clients, we are being very thoughtful and very, um, very slow moving. It almost feels like in terms of those things. Yes, it can solve tactical needs, but at what cost? Right. And you don't want to alienate your entire workforce that the, the people on this show spent so much time attracting. You don't want to freak them out by saying, well, we don't know. Maybe your job will be obsolete in a minute. Right. It's, um, just uh, Steve talked about, yeah, you can get a job at Google as soon as you graduate, but you might not have one in a year. Well, if you come out, you know, punching and swinging, hey, AI enabled everything. How is that going to impact your employer brand? How is that going to make your employees and your potential employees feel? Yeah, I think everyone needs to have a story there, don't they? Um, uh, it's early. Don't get me wrong. This is all happening, you know, so fast. And as you mentioned, Marinone's on top of it. You know, every day something happens that you know, seems to change the world again. Um, as, but but I think it, it's probably something that ED professionals do need to start weaving into their comms because people will be looking at jobs and thinking, okay, this is all well and good, sir, but, you know, is it still there? Um, what's the career path? How does it work when you adopt AI on this? Um, so, so yeah, actually, let's bring you in on this, Andy. With your kind of uh, con connections with industry and working with different customers and what have you, is this something that you see as a potential thing that you could provide as a service for companies where you could help them kind of have a conversation on AI? Because I think no one knows what they're doing. No one knows. No one's really confident about this. Yeah, there's an element, of, I don't know, of fear, greed and loathing when it comes to everyone's perceptions of, of AI and what it means for us in talent acquisition. Like, uh, there's a lot of people very fearful. There's a lot of people quite greedy. Oh, can we reduce the workforce? Can we achieve this? Can we do that? Um, and then there's obviously quite a lot of paranoia and, and so forth that's associated with it. So, so yeah, so we, we run a lot of uh, workshops and have a lot of sessions with clients around um, AI. What's uh, what's the immediate impact of it? Um, also, what should your policies and protocols be around it? Because actually, many of our clients have already banned um, any form of, of chat GPT or tool within their company networks, uh, and others are, are increasingly concerned around the impact of, of uh, producing content which doesn't have some form of moderation or validation. So um, in some respects, there's a perception that we've just given a huge giant sized megaphone to fake news and off we go. So I think it's incumbent on us to make sure that we are providing the right advice. People don't know what they should be doing about this. And there's both a short-term practicality. Here are the things that it can do for you. Here are the things that we do need to have guardrails against. And in the mid to long term, how can we set the right governance up um, so that we can make decisions quickly because there's something really important here, and that is you've got to be able to do it quick because what you decide today may be unpicked in 2 a.m. tomorrow morning. So, yeah, definitely. And, and we're seeing a lot of advisory requirements coming in. That's why I think for us it's cool that we have both the technology consulting and the DEI running alongside our employer brand practice because per earlier on, all sorts of crossover and independencies. But, yeah, yeah. interesting times. Definitely something. It's uh, it's it's, a com it's a com discombobulating, um, but it's uh, it's interesting uh, for sure. Uh, ben, let's leave fine word to you. How can you apply AI to EB? Um, have, have you thought about this? Have you implemented anything? Um, 
Not at a enterprise level, as, as has already been discussed. I think as, when you get to corporate enterprise or any larger organization, there's there's general law considerations, data law considerations, and ethical considerations. So when you see these uh, overly excitable people on TikTok saying how wonderful it is, they're usually a solopreneur, right? They can do it. They can move fast. They don't have to worry about it. All it will take is one significant IP data leak from a large corporate to slow things right down, I think. In the meantime, however, having said that, I think when it comes to branding, having kind of swam as deep in the waters as I can with the time I've got with these tools, what they're not very good at is maintaining brand identity. It needs a lot of human handholding, whether you're on mid-journey, whether you're on chat GPT, whatever it is, it will write some copy, it will do certain things, but it just doesn't land your brand tone. And you, you it will get more sophisticated, I'm sure. So short term, who knows? I don't have a crystal ball. But for brand protection, I don't think the full content creation process is there yet. Where I think it is there at the moment is once you've got the human brain on the brand content creation piece, the repurposing, recycling and distribution of that content is where it could be expedited very quickly. And I'm playing with tools where you can take a video which is created by humans and has the emotion, has the intuition woven in, which the robots can't do yet. And once you've got that hero or hub piece of content, whether it's a video, I can upload it to something, slice it into 10 micro bits of content stings in a minute. And then I can automate my workflow so I can get it out if the original source is on YouTube. I could get it out on YouTube, Facebook Reels, Instagram Reels with the click of a button. And it will automate the copy for me. I just need to go and check the AI copy and make sure it's thing. So the branding piece, the creative piece, I think there's a way to go so you don't erode. You've got to really protect that brand, and that takes that human interaction. Distribution, repurposing, recycling of assets created by the humans, I think, is where the, the opportunity is right now. But again, going full circle, it's having that eye on the IP, what you're uploading to these machines, are legal going to come down on you and raise an eyebrow, et cetera, et cetera. So... Um, I'm, I'm very excited by it, slightly nervous by it also, but um, I think it's going to be a force multiplier where we become more productive um, versus job losses. If I can do one client, but with the same time and resources, go to 10 clients, if I'm an agency, then that's, I think, where it gets quite exciting and huge opportunity. Yeah, I think so. And it's going to be so fascinating, uh, particularly, um, I mean, two things you mentioned there, Ben, that were really, really interesting. Um, the, 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 the human intuition, the, that, that sense, I mean, it goes, goes back to what Lindsay was saying right at the beginning, that, that, that feeling, I think, is often undocumented data. It is data driven, but we're not recording it. We're not writing it down, but it's a sense. Um, and of course, all AIs are pre-trained on documented data, so they don't have access to that. Um, which is why they get that, that, that feeling wrong often. Um, but where they do come into a frame is amplification, multiplication, uh, speed of work. Like that video example you're talking about, all of us probably have enough video, video editorial skills to chop up the video into 10 bits. It just would take us time. Um, but this thing, you feed it in there, it pops it out and boom. Suddenly our job is not to do the chopping, it's to look at it and do the editing. Um, so you can imagine a future where EB or anybody involved in creative comms suddenly becomes super empowered because they have access to all of these tools that helps them to really operate really, really quickly. And that kind of 
lends itself, I think, to, is to service supply. So in other words, you can imagine the advantage going to third-party suppliers because suddenly they can expand the amount of customers they could absorb. It's not just, let's say I'm one person, I can only take three clients, let's say. But suddenly with the access of these two, suddenly I can take 30 clients, my business gets better. Um, but the internal folks, I, I wonder what, how that works. Does that mean that you're going to have less internal EP? Maybe. Um, or does it mean that you can actually put more messaging out there um, and, and, and be more powerful uh, than your competitors, which obviously is going to increase the noise yeah. level for everybody. But, you know, if everyone gets their, their stories right, you should be resonating with the right people. So it's almost like the, the, uh, I'm thinking of these band, band, bandwidths out there. It could be that everyone's making noise, but the resonance is going to touch different people in different ways. And maybe that's going to be okay at the end of the day. Um, folks, we are well over time, so we have to end it there. I want to thank all of our guests here. Thank you so much, Ben. Thank you, Andy, for coming on to the show. Uh, wonderful um, observations as usual. Uh, I want to thank all of our guests as well that have previously uh, been on, Modiara Camps, um, Steve Ward, uh, we had Lindsay, uh, I forget your first okay, second name, Lindsay, I beg your pardon, uh, but Lindsay from Patreon, she was on as well. Uh, what a wonderful conversation is. We're well over time. Marin, I know you're busy. You've got stuff to do. You've got breakfast to cook. <laughs> I'm not that kind of mom. <laughs> yeah, they can, take care of, they can take care of themselves. But no, um, really great conversation. I thought that that was, um, I mean, it seems to me there's like so much more to talk about. I mean, that's like a series that you could go down, isn't it? Um, so incredible stuff. Um, okay, uh, listen, I hope everyone's enjoyed it. We're back next week. We're going to be talking about life and times of a portfolio recruiter in venture capital. Um, we are starting to see or we have seen the emergence of this type of character um, within the VC sort of world. People who are heads of talent for a VC that are then deployed across the portfolio. Got a bunch of those to come on and we're going to talk about what life is like for them. Uh, so if you've enjoyed this conversation, interested in that kind of chat, make sure you follow the channel. Uh, we'll be back next week. Uh, Maren, what can I say? Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate your insights. I really appreciate no, I hope you've enjoyed it. I mean, sometimes people think this is a bit of work, but I think it's a bit of a laugh. Um, and hopefully this has been all good. Um, and yeah, if you're coming, you're coming to Network. Did I hear did I hear, hear that correctly? Yeah, I'm I'm actually gonna be doing a live stream uh to the US, right? You know, perfect oh. perfect segue there. So um is, yeah, is I'm gonna be doing a live stream in the middle and I'm gonna do it to the US. Um and then I'm gonna be at Nashville as well. This sounds like a chat and cheese thing. Have they roped you in to do like do something for them, or is this a red branch thing that you're doing? No, no. Um, Jamie just uh, thought I'd I'd be the right person since I've been you'd over be, there. So you, you, you'd be awesome there. as like a roving reporter. Um, you know, if, if someone was like following you with a camera, I think that'd be awesome. Uh, as you as you wander I'm around like the thing, you know, just in the middle of the place. I just want a couch in the middle of the field, and people can come to me. Yeah, that, I'm sure that's going to happen anyway. Uh, so, folks, <laughs> obviously, get yourself to Wreckfest. Everyone's going to be there. That is happening when? It is July the 7th, I believe. Um, July the 7th. Uh, so we will see you there in person, uh, if not uh, any, if not before. Maren, have a good day. Wonderful to see you on screen. Look forward to seeing you in person in a couple mm -hmm. of months, okay? Bye now. Okay, that's it. I hope you enjoyed it. Thanks for watching.